Welcome to EduMeasure, a new podcast for teachers, students, parents, and others concerned with transforming teaching and learning. Our goal is to explore creative and innovative responses to current challenges in education. I'm your host, Bernd Esterbrook, a professor at a small liberal arts college in Illinois. And for today's podcast, I'll be interviewing a professional with long experience supporting teaching across a wide array of disciplines in the context of the liberal arts. His credentials in education technology make him an ideal professional to speak with about how education shapes and is being shaped by the rise of powerful new technologies in our schools and colleges. He is committed to designing classrooms that are imaginative, effective, and dedicated to enhancing the student-teacher relationship. And he is a fine instructor in his own right. Jim Chafee is currently the Executive Director of Learning Innovation and Technology at Tippy College of Business at the University of Iowa. He received his undergraduate BA degree from California University of Pennsylvania and completed his Master's in Educational Technology at University of Illinois Springfield. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about himself. Jim? Thank you, Bernd. Uh, so just real quickly, for the last 30 years, I've spent an enormous amount of time both in the classroom as well as supporting the classroom in integrating technologies, and I use that term broadly, to make education and research uh, better for faculty and students. Part of what I've been able to do because I've been an instructor for so long is to be able to not only listen to what the other faculty are saying, but to also bring in my own experiences and to talk to the students directly to figure out what works best as we progress in this environment that is ever-changing. Uh, a great example of that is working right now on things dealing with artificial intelligence and how that is going to affect our programming moving forward and how we help the students and the faculty, including myself, integrate that into what it is we're trying to do to make them ready for the next generation. Well, thank you, Jim. This is exactly what we're interested in, in this podcast. And what we're doing in this interview is going to center around a few questions that deal with your experiments and ideas for building a transformative educational environment. Now, I'm especially interested in the ideas that guide instructional design and teaching, how you, your faculty, your support staff, and the students realize those ideals. So my first question for you, how is the way you support teaching and learning potentially transformational? As a technology support and design professional, what's the best kind of classroom really look like? What would we see if we were there? That is a great question. Um, and the answer is, there is no one answer. The transformational nature of classrooms and education is to meet the needs of the faculty and the students at the time that they are in the classroom, whatever that classroom may be, outside on the, on the courtyard, in an actual classroom, in a Zoom session, in virtual reality, our job as support people, whether it's support people where we're supporting the faculty or faculty as support people where we're supporting the students, is to adjust our learning and our learning environments uh, to, to meet the needs. So, for example, if we're going to be teaching financial accounting, is it the best place to be in a classroom of 70 seats in a round, or is the best place to be inside a laboratory where everyone is working on uh, Bloomberg terminals, or is the best place to be inside virtual reality, as an example, where we can adjust that classroom environment to meet the needs 
on the fly over and over again within that same space. It really comes down to what is it that we need for that faculty member and those students at that moment. So to get to the core of your question, when you come in and look at spaces that we might have, what would you find? is you're going to find a mix. You're going to find a space that allows for everyone to be at a computer and they're set up in pods. So the faculty member can walk up to a, say a, a pod of five students and work with them as an individual group, take a step back and then work with a classroom as a whole. You're going to find rooms that are set up in a semicircle where it's more of a, on a traditional lecture style, because although a number of people think it's time to move away from lecture. Lecture is still very important. It's still, in some ways, the core of how we get our points across to students. And you're going to see environments where we're actually in virtual reality. So we'll have a classroom where students are all coming into a more traditional space, talking about a topic. Say, for example, you're talking about history, and now it's time to to maybe go visit a site from World War II. Well, instead of looking at a screen on, on the wall or looking at a picture in a textbook, we put on the virtual headsets and we go to that location. And now we're on the beach of Normandy or now we're somewhere in the UK or now we're in Germany. And it really brings a fresh perspective and a better way for students to understand and a better way for faculty to get their points across as to what they're trying to teach the students. How you balance the inevitable novelty of these incredibly powerful technologies. You brought some examples here that clearly, I got to admit, I'm fascinated. I'd love to be experiencing this. Balancing that with those needs. How do you keep the needs central, even as you're dealing with these very, very powerful and attractive technologies? I'm curious from your own perspective there. So... Uh, there's something we use here at the University of Iowa when it comes to technology. It's a phrase we, we like to use, and it's actually part of our, our strategic plan in technology, and that's core, common, and unique. So the idea is, and this I'm going to give it to you on the basis of what we talk about when we're talking about software and hardware, but then how that relates to teaching and the teaching environments. You have your core, which are things like email. Uh, network, internet. These are things that everybody uses. These are things that everybody has to have access to. Then you have your common, which are things that most people would need access to. For example, you might need access to uh, Excel, for an example, for right. a large percentage of people, but not everybody needs Excel, PowerPoint, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then you get into the unique environments, and those unique environments are set up for a specific area. So it's it's a language module it, or it's a financial uh, program or whatever it happens to be. On the teaching side, what we have to do is make sure we have the core set. So we need to make sure that if a faculty member walks into a room, that they can provide the instruction they need in that room as they are comfortable. And most people are still comfortable with you walking in, grabbing a marker, Although some people still prefer chalkboards, we do have we don't have any chalkboards anymore, but we do have markers. Uh, and you pick up a marker and you start writing on the board and you lecture to the students, or you might bring up a, a presentation on the on the screen. These are things that are core. Everybody has to have. Then you get into the common areas, and those common things are things that are again work across most everywhere. So multiple screens or areas where you can project uh, written documents or books. Not everyone would use it, but a lot of people have access to that. And then you get into the unique, which that gets into what are the different types of things we can do in our classrooms 
to not only excite the students, but get the instructor excited. Right. And so things like virtual reality uh, would really be one of those things. Right. So what the, the way we do that is we work people up to the idea of utilizing a innovative technology that could work for them as a test or as an example. And we do it on a small scale. And then we see where that goes. Mm -hmm. 50% of the time, it doesn't go anywhere, at least 50% of the time. The faculty say it's too difficult. Uh, it takes away from the instruction. The students didn't see a need for it. But let's try it again in a different fashion. Or can we try something uh, outside of class? And, and so that's where we really get into the individualized instruction and the individualized support. And so we reach a small percentage in that regard, but it's very powerful. Another question that arises for me here in this sense, and I, I may have even been guilty of this myself, how do you deal with faculty for whom this kind of technology is closely akin to magic? They don't get it. They don't know how it works. And their expectations are often way off the scale. They think it can do things that it can't do. And I'm kind of curious how you handle that because that's part of your educational function, right? Absolutely. So that's where instructional design and having an instructional designer on staff come into play. Right. So we can talk all day long about the technical side of instructional design, and we can lay out a Bloom's taxonomy uh, pyramid and, and go through everything. Or if you want to do the circles, there's lots of different ways we can look at it. But the reality is the best way to deal with, with people who are struggling in that regard is to have them sit down either virtually or, or in person. Mm -hmm with an instructional designer to get to the core of what it is they're trying to do. Right. Because most of the time, it's not that they're thinking as much as it's magic, though that phrase comes across a lot, I know. Uh, it's that they're not sure what they're trying to do. They just heard from somebody else that they should do it. Right. And so by looking at what it is we're trying to accomplish in that class, it might be the best use of technology is PowerPoint. Right. It might be the best use of technology is trying to incorporate an artificial intelligence robot. Right. I mean, we just, you have to have those conversations. And without that instructional design person, it's hard to have those conversations because they're the ones who understand how to get there. Most of us on the faculty side, we, we've not been trained in that way. All right. So here you have a situation where you have these incredibly powerful tools and you have people trying them out in various capacities. What's the most important thing that students do or should take with them when they leave a remarkable classroom or course? That is, uh, from your perspective, a course where the technology has been put in there to enhance their experience. And how would we know that they actually took this with them? Which is, this is our evaluation and assessment question. How do you assess the, the relative value of the technologies that you're helping faculty employ in the classroom? That is a great question. And the answer I have is not going to sit well with a lot of people who focus on assessment. The, the answer is they want to learn more. Mm -hmm. You know, I've thought a lot about this, talking with a lot of instructional designers. We can sit down and we can do all sorts of types of assessment. You yourself have done all sorts of types of assessment mm -hmm. to figure out what's the best way students are learning. For me, with new technologies, with integrate those into the classroom, it's the desire to go out and learn and do more. I'll give you a great example. I had a student just this semester, this summer, 
who starting in the program when I was teaching virtual reality and the virtual reality class that I was teaching this summer was how to use virtual reality in the environment of the business that you're in. So are you in manufacturing? How could that play out? Are you in banking? How would it play out there? Are you in human services, social services, those kinds of things? How would virtual reality play out? The student, the first day of class told me he was in banking and this was pointless and he was taking the class because he had to. Now, eight weeks later, the student is begging to learn more because he can see the significant benefit it has in his industry. And he was a very nice guy from the very beginning. Don't get me wrong. It was just, he didn't see the need for this versus some of the other things that we teach in the program. And he was looking at this in a very focused arena. And now with his eyes wide open, and you can see that it's not just about gaming, it's about so much more. His desire is to learn is through the roof. Right, right. He got a great grade in the class, I'm sure. But the fact that his desire to learn is so large, that to me is shows that this is actually beneficial. So let's talk about obstacles and challenges. You have, you're, you're, you're engaged in a lot of experimentation at any one given point in time. There are loads of different obstacles and challenges. From your perspective and from the kind of work that you're doing, what is the single most important obstacle or challenge? Where do you expect difficulty, opposition, misunderstanding, and confusion? And what do you do to forestall those situations or to integrate these obstacles so that you can get success in the classroom? So let's be realistic. Technology will fail. Absolutely. Every time, every chance it gets, it will fail. We've been there, yes. We've all been there, right? And, and it's, it's never going to stop failing. What we have to do as far as obstacles is we have to get people comfortable with the failure of the technology and comfortable with the failure of what they're trying to accomplish at that moment. So if you're trying to, I mean, we've all seen it. You're trying to do a PowerPoint and the screen's not projecting, you know, the, the projector's not projecting on the screen. Right. Why not? Uh, you didn't set your laptop right. It's not plugged in correctly. You didn't hit the right button. The, the bulb went out on the projector. All of these things happen. Right. And we can either get flustered and frustrated and throw our hands up and cancel class, <laughs> which many of yeah. us have done, yeah. including myself, because it's like, I can't do it today. You know, it's too much. Or we can be okay with the failure in front of 20, 30, 50 students and say, this is reality. This is what happens. Let's figure out how we work around it. So if you're doing something with robotics, for example, and your robot is failing because it didn't get charged or because the programming you put in didn't, didn't finish completely, you're stuck right. in a loop, whatever it happens to be. Take every single time there's failure and make it a teaching moment. And teaching that to people is probably the, the biggest obstacle. All right. So what has inspired you? You've had a lot of different educational experiences. You've been an instructor, a teacher, a professional, and a student for that matter. And in the best classrooms, in your own classrooms and in the classrooms you attended, what were the, uh, the models, the examples of the ideals that made you say, I want to realize that in my own situation? For me, it's passion. It's the passion that I see in, in faculty when I'm learning or when I'm uh, working with them. And when in the passion in the students, 
when the aha moment, we've all seen that where the light bulb goes on and the student, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll use you as an example, Barrett, you know, the years we worked together, it was the, the passion you had for what can you do to make it better for your students? Right. I mean, it was, and there was a lot of people who were wanting to do things more for their students, but you've always had that passion. It's, 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 it's viral, if you will. I mean, it's catchy. And it's, I want to do more. Mm -hmm. And so by, by looking at what my colleagues have done and people that I respect, I can look and see how do I get that passion for me? It's putting on a, a headset. It's playing with a robot. Mm -hmm. It's getting in a classroom and getting that aha moment. But in order to get there, I need to see people like you and others mm -hmm. who are passionate about the topics that they're discussing. So now one of the big questions is, of course, you've already raised the issue earlier on, AI. I'm curious from your perspective, what will or should teaching and learning look like in the next decade? And that includes the, 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 the trends that are good and the trends that are bad. Mm. So that's going to be a tough one because things are moving so quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I'll narrow it down to what's next and what I think is coming. Uh, so AI is pervasive. Uh, it, it's everywhere already. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously with generative AI, it's really picked up the pace since, say, January into March. It's really, really pushed hard. I think we're going to see two factions. We're going to see the naysayers, and we see this with any technology. Mm -hmm. it's, this is bad. It's terrible. We've got to fight it 100%. We can't put it in play. And they're going to go down one road, and they already are, where they're banning things and they're stopping people from doing all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then we have the other ones who are embracing it. And by embracing technologies such as generative AI, but also all other forms of artificial intelligence, when you're, you're looking at um, the different types of AI that you would have, mm -hmm. in, let's say in theory of mind, which obviously we're not there yet, but when we get into things like reactive machines, that's what we've been using for many years. Then we get into limited memory, which is kind of what I see the next phase. We already have limited memory AI, but I see the next phase really pushing limited memory of I remember things. Yeah. I'm, I'm as an AI, I'm trying to open myself up to new experiences, which then could hopefully get into theory of mind. I doubt we'll get to self-aware in the next 10 years. But what I see in education in, in teaching is embracing the concepts that these will be good tools, whatever comes out, to help us help our students learn. And here's, here's an example. Do we really believe that in five years that we will have entry-level positions in a lot of our disciplines? That's a good question. AI will take care of entry-level position. I mean, you're, you're not going to have someone just entering data into a computer when the computer itself is going to take care of it. Right. It's already doing that with robotic process automation. It's going to do even more as we incorporate more of the limited memory uh, and reactive machines within uh, AI. So what we need to be doing is we need to be embracing artificial intelligence concepts. Mm -hmm. We need to embrace the concepts of the tools. So not just the concepts of AI, but how these tools would work and how to prepare our students for, in essence, jumping over those entry-level positions into the next level. So, you know, you take, a, for example, a language program. 
AI is going to replace and already has started to some of that entry level discussion in language. It's I don't need to know everything with with language. I pick up my phone, I hit translate and I talk into it and it translates it for me and I'm done. And the point gets across. It's not perfect. Uh, but as you know, I'm sure you've played around with these. They're not perfect, but they work and they're just going to get better. So how we get to the next phase, and here's this is something that I, I keep talking about. This actually goes back to the core of education. Mm -hmm. This goes back to what we've been teaching, trying to teach for centuries. And I think actually AI is going to help us. And that is, it's not about the doing, it's about the understanding. Yeah, The AI is going to do it for us. We need to understand what it's doing, why it's doing, and how we can make it better. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I think is going to happen in the next five to 10 years, is we're going to have this kind of renaissance, if you will, in education, where we get back to making sure people are understanding what's going on in yeah. every discipline yeah. versus just going through rote memorization and regurgitating material out of a textbook. You're implying here, again, a, a real revolution in what we're doing and what we're, our expectations for our students are. It's not enough to just give them a sort of a basic, raw introduction to things. They've really got to understand it because it's that understanding which is going to be both valuable for them and it's going to make their work and their, their contributions to society valuable as well. Exactly. AI is going to force us to, to play a better game than we are. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Do you have... And particularly from your position, some warnings about roads that we could go down or that we often tend to go down when regards to these, these powerful technologies. Are there temptations to the dark side, so to speak, <laughs> that we need to be careful of as we are learning how to deal with this? Yes. I would say the biggest temptation is to let it to let the technology take care of itself or let someone else take care of it for us. Yeah. We we are too reliant as faculty. So I'm putting on my faculty hat right now. We're too reliant for support people to do things for us. Mm -hmm. I, I need my computer to work. I take it to a support person. I need a projector to work. I call a support person. I need a AI to do something for me. I call a support person. That is not what we're going to end up with. We need to understand what this is doing so we can teach it appropriately. In some ways, it becomes a sub-discipline for us because we don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. If AI is going to take it and fill in the blanks for a lot of these things, then we need to be able to understand that as a subdiscipline. Right. Uh, and frankly, unlike all of the other times when we've had technologies, internet, Google, uh, Wikipedia, projectors, laptops, they are so specific in what they do that we've been able to take a support person and say, hey, you're now going to do the support for this program, or you're going to do support for this projector or this type of projector or this classroom. With AI, as it integrates more and more into our own disciplines, we have to be those support people. We have to be the ones that understand it because we can't ask someone with a computer yeah. information systems degree to come in and try and figure out our discipline. Yeah. So that's where I see that's getting down the dark side is trying to just let somebody else do it like we always have. Right, right. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for your willingness to share your insights and ideas from the perspective of an educational designer. The best administrators promote, support, and enhance teaching and learning for both students and teachers. 
And I hope that our listeners will be able to take Jim's long experience in this field and find it both helpful and provocative. Well, that's all for today. I'm your host, Baron Desterbrook, and we hope that you will find the ideas discussed here to be useful to your own teaching and learning. We've organized an EduMeasure website where you'll be able to comment on these episodes and identify resources for further investigation. EduMeasure is produced by Ed Leonard and Baron Desterbrook with help from our editing and engineering intern, Miranda Araujo. Thanks for listening.